Well, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Oh, I am so glad uh, that you are here. It is good to see your faces, um, young and old and new and, and long-standing. Uh, we are delighted to be able to gather together, and we're delighted that you chose to be with us this day. So thank you. If you have a Bible, please open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. The words will be on the screen if you want to follow along there. We are in a series this summer called The Friendship with God. That we can have friendship with God because God wants friendship with us. He's done all the necessary things to bring that friendship about. And today we're going to continue looking at friendship with the Son, with Jesus. And the title of the sermon is going to lead to a slight plot twist. It's called Treasured. And if you grab a welcome, be- a welcome sheet when you come in, on the front of, there, of that welcome sheet it will say what our heart, our aim is as a church family, and that is to treasure Christ through all of life. We want to do that. We want to grow at treasuring Jesus through all of life. Well, there's an interesting plot twist that I want us to get to here in a moment. Let's look first at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you for your word. You reveal to us who you are, what you're like, how you relate to us, and how we can relate to you. And I pray that as we come to your word, we would come with hearts eager to know better who you are, what you're like, how you relate to us, and how we can relate to you. So be with us during this time, we ask, to your glory and to our good. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we've been focusing on a series this summer called Friendship with God. We previously considered what friendship with the Father looked like and are now looking at friendship with the Son, with Jesus. Last week, I began the message by making some observations, observing how hard it is for us today in our day and age to trust, to trust others, to trust people in charge, and so forth. The world, in many ways, has calloused our hearts from wanting to trust. We sometimes lack trust in in the people and institutions around us, and, and that can very subtly and very carefully and very quietly be projected upward toward Jesus, that we can have unbelief or doubt or lack of trust in Jesus. And so we tried to counter it last week with considering together who Jesus is and what Jesus gives and why it is so trustworthy, both who he is and what it gives. This morning, not so much the issue of of trust, though in a way it is, I want us to take our shaky, vulnerable hearts and, and nurture them with good news. And here's the plot twist. The good news is that It's not so much a a message about us treasuring Jesus, though we'll get to that. It's really a message about Jesus treasuring us, his people. And that when we think about friendship with Jesus, that we think about it as something that he delights in. And not just some sort of like 
ambiguous idea of friendship. He, Jesus, treasures his, you, his people. And then that should inform and shape the way that we go about treasuring him. Now, that in mind, I want to share with you a quote that you might be able to relate to. From the book, uh, Friendship with God by Mike McKinley, I've referred to it and referenced it throughout the series. He says these words, and they might be relatable. Because of our sin and the weakness of our faith, it can be hard for us to believe that Jesus really feels this way about us. As a result, we may find ourselves keeping our emotional distance from him, fearing that if we do come to him, we will, we will expect, we will experience not delight, but disapproval. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you know yourself well enough to know that, no, 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 if Jesus knows everything, there's no way he could actually delight in me. And as such, you keep an emotional distance. Maybe you keep your heart far from him because you don't want to feel disapproval. Well, my hope and my aim this morning is quite simple that we would see that Jesus treasures us, and in return, we can go about treasuring him. A treasured friendship that Jesus established is this. Jesus treasures you through all of life. Jesus treasures you through all of life so that you can treasure Jesus through all of life. That's it. Not overly creative, but that's okay. That's where we're heading, hopefully, Lord willing. But you might be wondering how. Does he really, does he really treasure me? Um, so let's work through some of that. First up, Jesus treasures you through all of life. And how does Jesus treasure his people? Well, there are three things that we'll consider from uh, God's word and from our passage. So the first is this. We need to consider what he says. Jesus treasures us, his people, through all of life, and we know this because of what he says. It's in what he says. First of all, did you know that Jesus calls his people his friends? In John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15, he describes this in great detail. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus is saying that he has people that he calls friends. Now, naturally, you might be thinking, well, how do I get in on that? How do I get to be friends with Jesus? Who are his friends? It's a natural question that you would ask when Jesus says, I have called you friends. So who's, who are these friends? Who are his friends? Well, let's see what else Jesus says. Because he's telling us that he treasures his people through all of life. And so we want to take him at his word. We want to hear what he says. So the first thing that he said, or first thing that I want to point out, is found in John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus speaking, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So it's giving us a clue of, to who is Jesus' friend? Well, it's the people that the Father purposed. Now, that's a great, grand mystery, I know. That's hard for us to get our heads around. But it, we, we have some greater details that tell us it's those who come to him. And 
what does Jesus say? Well, I'm never going to cast them out. He's never going to get rid of his friends. He's never going to bail on his friends. Well, let's look a little more. What does it mean to come to him? Well, at the very beginning of John's gospel account in verse, chapter 1, verse 12, we get a little bit more detail about who his friends are. In one twelve, it says, But to all who did receive him, similar to coming to him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this coming to him and this receiving him all happened through this thing of believing in him, through faith. So while there is a grand mystery about God's purposes and his plans, there is great clarity on who gets to be called friends. It's those who receive Jesus through faith, believing in his name, it says. Believing in who he is and what he has done in his life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave. How that accomplishes for us salvation. And all who believe Jesus, believe in him, trust that his life and his death and his resurrection secure salvation, you are his friends. You are his friends. And he never casts out his friends. But more. Just as we heard leading into our time of prayer. In Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 29. What else does Jesus say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. These words have been spiritual buoys for many of us for many a years. Here we see the heart that Jesus has for his friends. He says, trade in the weight that you will experience in this life for me. Trade in the weight of trying to earn God's love and affection or earn God the right relationship with God. Trade that in for who I am and what I have done, he says. He says, trade in running into the world, looking for something in the world to validate who you are and how you are to live. I've got it right here. Trade in that which you are pursuing in this world for me. You see, our hearts are made to long for, look for, cling to that which is ultimate. We are always pursuing something ultimate. We're always looking for that thing that is ultimate. That's how we're wired. That's how we were created. God hardwired us to have hearts that want something ultimate. And when we look around in the world for that thing that which is ultimate, it routinely disappoints us. We come up empty. And Jesus says, trade that in. Come to me. Receive me through faith. And find that which is indeed ultimate. And his friends are the ones who indeed find Jesus ultimate. So the question right now before we move forward is, are you his friend? Are you his friend? Do you trust Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection as the means by which you can be rescued from sin and rescued to friendship. 
His friends are those who turn to him. Take him at his word. Trust in his saving work and lean on his ongoing grace. Are you his friend? If you are not sure, or if you know you are not, why? Why? What is it that is an obstacle or a roadblock for you? If you're not sure, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to listen. I'd love to consider the things that are hard for you to consider Jesus your friend. Maybe if you came here with somebody, maybe they would love to grab lunch with you and just listen and ask questions and talk because there is nothing greater than friendship with Jesus. Don't let that question, are you his friend, scoot out of your brain just as quickly as it came in. There is no bigger question that you will ever face in this life. Now, we know that he treasures his people because of what he says, but we also secondly will find, as we turn our attention back to our passage, that it's also found in what he did. How do we know that Jesus treasures us? Well, we need to look at what he did. He completed the work to save us from sin and to save us to friendship. He did it. He did it all to bring about our friendship. He removed all the roadblocks and he paved the way for us to experience friendship with him. Look again at verses, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. There are a number of things to pull out in there, but I want to draw your attention chiefly and mainly to the expression, who has passed through the heavens. It's short form. It's a shorthand referring to all that Jesus has done to bring about this relationship, this friendship that we can have with God. And there's, it's multidirectional. There's first the fact that Jesus came down. So he passed through the heavens to come down. Jesus came all the way down into our world, all the way down into our humanity, all the way down into flesh and blood and bone, all the way down into taking on all of the responsibility of God's standard, taking on all of the consequences of our sin, going to the cross, and then going into the grave. He came all the way down into this. And through his life, his death, and then ultimately resurrection, he accomplishes for us something that we could never do on our own. Payment for what we have done and righteousness for where we cannot go. So he took on all of the penalty of sin and gave us all of the access to a relationship with God. He came all the way down to do that. Why would he do this if he did not treasure the very people he was rescuing? To endure that, to go through all of what he went through, to to trade the the confines of glory for our broke-down world, to take on our sin, to take on death, he came all the way down. And you might wrestle, does, maybe regularly wrestle with this question, Does Jesus really treasure me as a friend? Does he really? And when that question sort of percolates and bubbles up and starts to steam or overflow in your head and into your heart, rehearse 
to yourself all that Jesus did. Sure, tell yourself what he said, but then look at what he did. Look at what he did. He passed through it all. He came all the way down. Hebrews 12.2 says this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. There's nothing more shameful than the cross. And is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy. Wasn't that the cross was the joy. It was the people he was rescuing. That's the joy he, he did this for. The joy of the glory of God and his redemptive purpose. To have a people he would save for all eternity. That's why he went through it all. He didn't do it because a heavenly memo was sent to his desk. And, you know, the TPS report said that he needed to go do this. He did it because it was a joy. Now, he came all the way down in what he did. That's what part of passing through the heavens means. But, it, but then he goes all the way up. Secondly, it's multidirectional. Jesus went up to the highest, greatest access to God with unparalleled access to the Father. And there, he carries us into that very access. That we can know God and be known by God in a saving relationship in which God looks at us sinners and weak and broken and says, friend, this is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus descended down in order to save and ascended up in order to supply all that we need. He's covered all the space in between. So when we wrestle with that question, does Jesus really treasure me as his friend? We tell ourselves where he came from, how far down he went, and where he went after, and why he did all of that. And tell ourselves, yes, yes, in fact, As I struggle with this, I can see by what he did, he did this because he treasures his friends. Now, we see it in what he says and in what he did. We also see it in what he does. What he does currently, like right now, this very second, this very moment that you are sitting here. And all the moments after, he continues to care for us in every way, in whatever may be. Back to our passage in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, for we do not have, notice the verb tense, have currently, right now, in this very moment, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right now, we have that in our friend Jesus. The interesting word there, sympathize, comes from a word that means deep level, having lived it, relatability, understanding, and compassion. That's what Jesus has for his friends. He has a deep level, yes, I have lived it, in fact, in an even greater way, thereby making me incredibly relatable to you and very understanding in everything that you are wrestling with and going through, and and an eternal well of compassion that I have for you right now. That's what he has 
for his people now. That's what he does now, this very moment. In the incarnation, Jesus in the flesh, he experienced weakness and temptation. He experienced the full range of human circumstances. He knows sorrow and loss. He knows what it feels like to be abandoned and ridiculed and mocked. He knows what it means to have people not understand him or relate to him. He also knows joys of earthly friendships and 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 togetherness. He knows the entire gambit of human experiences and circumstances. There is nothing. I say this to all of us in this room, young and old. There is nothing he is unfamiliar with when it comes to the human plight. He knows it all. And what's so amazing and what this verse is revealing to us about the manner in which he currently treasures his friends. He doesn't condone us as we fail under those pressures. Rather, he moves closer to us with his ongoing care for his friends. A seminary professor speaking to these very verses say this, we have a deep human desire for sympathy. What we need to realize is that we have an eternal well of sympathy and compassion in Christ. That it never, it's a well that never runs dry. That it is always full of sympathy and compassion. That no matter how many struggles and circumstances and challenges and and weaknesses we wrestle with this side of of being with Jesus, it never diminishes the well of his compassion for you, even the slightest. It's always to the brim, and it is never depleted. Some of us may feel like, well, are you sure? I've done a needle quite a bit. (laughs) And I would just say to you, You could be the most neediest person in all of the cosmos and you would not ever run Jesus dry. He continues to provide in what he does. Look at verse 16, which feels more of a call of response for us. What do we do in light of this? But in there are still these incredible nuggets saying something about what Jesus currently does. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what that verse is telling us? Well, the friendship door is wide open. Jesus is accessible. Jesus is available. Jesus is gracious. Jesus is merciful to us. And note what Jesus continues to provide from that verse. First of all, he continues to provide the confidence to draw near. There isn't a bait and switch with Jesus. He doesn't come to us in our crisis 
and, and care for us. And then once things are all okay, reasonably okay in our life, bail off to go do with something else. No, he gives us the confidence to continue to come to him again and again and again. We have ever access with Jesus. Note also the position. He's on a throne, but note that it's a position of grace. It's called a throne of grace. So positionally, he's not sitting over us like some sort of authoritarian judge ready to, to level a verdict. Well, you, you did mess up all these ways, and I, I kind of have to hold that against you now. No, he sits on a throne of grace. And then what does he give? Well, he gives us grace and mercy. And when? In our time of need. So you know what he is giving and supplying to his friends? Relevant grace and mercy. Relevant to who you are and the situations that you're in. Relevant to your daily life. Relevant in every way. Not abstract, not theory, but relevant. Relevant grace. I love what McKinley says later in his book, Because he delights in you, Jesus wants you to bring him the deepest things that are in your heart. And because he wants to be your friend, he has done everything necessary for you to share your deepest, truest self with him. Maybe this counters, maybe this counters a number of things. Maybe we have a view of Jesus that is way more uh, exacting, uh, has a ruler in hand, and we have knuckles on a table. Or maybe we have a view of Jesus that's sort of like esoteric and abstract. It doesn't really relevant. He's not really relevant to our actual lives. Maybe it's more like hologram Jesus than actual Jesus, idea Jesus than reality Jesus. And maybe these are hard for us because, well, maybe because it's hard for us to have friends. Maybe we struggle to have friends. And so it's hard for us to understand the deep level of friendship that Jesus has for us and with us. And maybe our hearts, just like we began with, maybe our hearts are guarded and we don't want to, we want to keep a little bit of that emotional distance because we don't want to be under the look of disapproval. But I'm just simply revealing to you what Jesus says, what Jesus did, And what Jesus does. And it all adds up to the fact that Jesus treasures his people. He treasures his friends. And if you are his friend, he treasures you. He treasures you. And in response, our hearts are to be led to see that that Jesus is worth it. That we can treasure Jesus through all of life. How then are we to live out a treasuring Jesus kind of life? As I said earlier, our hearts are looking for something to be ultimate. And it's why we're so easily disappointed. We want things that we pursue to be ultimate. Ultimate hopes, ultimate joys, ultimate comforts, ultimate. But if you lived any amount of life, you know that, and I mean this, no matter how old you are, if you lived any amount of life, you know that eventually that thing that you thought was ultimate is going to lose its ultimacy, right? For our younger ones, you get this Christmas gift, and before New Year's, it's already in the box that other gifts from Christmas's past have gone to die. 
We lose our wonder. We lose our awe. Our hearts are longing for it. And it's why we're disappointed. And so we labor together. and We labor in our hearts to go about treasuring Jesus for all of life because there are two things that I want us to wrestle with in thinking about what it looks like to treasure Jesus. First of all, as we're telling ourselves that Jesus is worthy. And then secondly, Jesus is worth it. So first up, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of our hearts. The hearts that are longing for ultimate, Jesus is worthy for that. He's worthy. He can fill the void of ultimate that we have in our hearts. And so when we say Jesus is worthy, we're saying that, that Jesus is worthy of our adoration, the thing that we're saying is ultimate, and he is worthy of our affection, us delighting in that thing we are saying is ultimate. He is worthy of both the position of ultimate and the joy of having something ultimate. He is worthy. He is the only one worthy of ultimate adoration, and he is the only one worthy of all of our affection that is our hearts. So many things in this life, good things, mind you, will let us down, will fail to fulfill, will leave us wanting. But Jesus doesn't. He doesn't. Jesus passed through it all. He passed through it all. He went through life and death and resurrection and the heavens because he treasured, treasures, and will treasure us. And so when we have a response of adoration, we're saying, Jesus, you are worthy. And that response of adoration, saying Jesus is worthy, is part of our treasuring Jesus through all of life. Even if our lives are filled with hardship and hurt and struggle and challenge and emptiness and apathy, we have to labor together every time we're gathered together in whatever form, big, smaller, super small, help each other remember that Jesus really is worthy. In our response of our affection, when we say, Jesus, you are worthy of my whole heart, that too is part of our treasuring Jesus through all of life. So I say to a room full of people who were created to long for something ultimate, that Jesus has provided the means for you to have that craving fulfilled. You're created for it and redeemed into it. This is what Jesus does for his friends. And so we get to say, Jesus, you are worthy. Secondly, we get to say that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worthy is a heart work that's happening between us and God and us together looking toward God. Jesus is worth it is sort of like on the street level, the curb level of our lives, the living out of our faith. And so we see this in the ways in which we are devoted and in our discipleship. Discipleship is a churchy word that means our following after Jesus, that our life begins to reflect more and more of someone who's following Jesus. So in a way, we're saying Jesus is worth it and that we're devoted to go this way, that Jesus is worth it. 
And as we are going this way, Jesus is worth it, we're reflecting more and more of Jesus as we go this way. So when we say Jesus is worth it, we're saying this is the way to go. He is worthy and worth it. I want to be devoted to this. And as we're going, we're starting to reflect more and more of the one we are following. That means the ongoing character of our friendship with Jesus is our growing and living out a Jesus is worth it purpose to life. Now we say, and what we believe, what we belong to, and how we live, Jesus is indeed worth it. Now, some encouragements. One, God is working in us to be more like our friend Jesus. Right now, currently, and throughout the rest of your life, God is working in us, his people, his, Jesus' friends, to be more like our friend Jesus. That's his, that's his plan. You may wonder, what's the purpose of my life? Well, if you're friends with Jesus, God has a big purpose for you, and that is to be more and more like Jesus. In Romans 8, 29, he spoke of that plan. He says, to be conformed to the image of his son, which means more and more of our life reflects more and more of Jesus. More and more of Christ in us, at work in us. More of his character showing up in our character. That's God's commitment, his purpose, his promise, his plan in the lives of Jesus' friends. Now, in response, secondly, we see that we are working out what friendship with Jesus looks like in life. We're working that out. It's something that we're growing in, better understanding, better grasping, and better living out in the course of our lives. There was a verse earlier from John 15 that I didn't fully finish because I wanted to bring it in here, and it's John 15, 14. Jesus, again, is speaking, and he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, if you just pull that sentence out of its context and just read it, it can lead you down into one of a couple of ditches that basically say, if you're not living right enough, there's no possible way you could be his friend, and nobody can really live right enough, so Jesus must be the loneliest person ever because no one can be his friend. But in the context of the whole scope of what Jesus is saying here, it's, he's speaking to the fact that, that we are his friends through faith and that that life is going to begin reflecting this new friendship. And as it reflects this new friendship, we want to follow Jesus' ways. And don't forget what he said. When he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you crushed under the weights of things that you're chasing. That which I'm going to give you is not a burden. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy. Let's not confuse that. It's hard. We have hearts and the world is hard. But he's not heaping on us a burden we cannot keep, but giving us a way that which we can delight. There is no better way to live than in devotion to Jesus, growing at treasuring him and who we believe and what we feel and how we live.
And while I said it already, it won't be easy, my hope is, the more you get to know your friend Jesus, the more you'll see that it is indeed worth it. Now, that's incredible news. That's really incredible good news. That Jesus makes it so that we can be his friend. He makes it clear how one can be his friend. And he shows how he treasures his friends now and throughout all of life. But I also want to encourage you, even if that experience is up and down and sporadic in your life, and I don't know what your life is going to hold from this day until your last breath. I don't know all the things that are going to come into your life and make it very challenging or very hard. I do know where it all ends. And it all ends in the place in which this glorious friendship is reunited with all obstacles removed in every possible way. And that that, in two, is a part of this incredible story that threads the entire Bible. That God is undoing something that was broken. And he's going to bring about a day in which we will get to enjoy this friendship forever with nothing to be a cataract in our eyes. We'll get to see it and hear it and feel it and taste it and walk it without anything getting in the way of the joy of it. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, there were tremendous promises shared. There was a lot of really tough and hard news. But there were incredible promises that God was making to his people. Promises of God about how He was going to overcome and undo what has been lost because of sin. One particular promise that, I mean, there are so many, but one that jumps out, especially in light of the fact that my hope is that you have been encouraged to know that Jesus treasures you as people, as friends, is this picture of God's promise. It's in Isaiah 65, verse 19. It's looking forward to a great day. And it says, God speaking through his prophet to the people, I will rejoice in Jerusalem, the name of the city where God's people would gather together, sort of a short form for the place in which God's people and God would dwell together. So he's speaking a little literal, but a lot of symbolic about this. There will be a day in which this great place where God's people and God dwell together. So he says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. This isn't about God's people being glad in him, though that would be a a, a good thing, be happy in God. This is saying God's promising to bring about a day where he will dwell with his people and they will know his gladness over them and for them. No more shall there be heard in in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Incredible. That God's people, his friends, will know his gladness and his joy in them, for them, with them. Now, fast forward a few, a few years. Through Jesus, this great overcoming and undoing are accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And then he will finalize all of that one great and glorious day in which we will know the depth and scope and joy of how much Jesus has treasured us in full. How much gladness God has for us and to us and with us. So in the very last book of the Bible, 
In Revelation 21, we hear these words, picking up that incredible promise that we saw in Isaiah. He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so when our hearts wrestle with, does Jesus really treasure me as his friend? And we want to start to believe things that are not true, that our sin and our weakness and our stumbling and bumbling through life are so bad, so overwhelming, that it, there's no way that Jesus would count me as a friend. We just need to walk that dumb heart of ours back through what Jesus has said, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus does, and what Jesus will do one great day. Then you will see just how much he treasures you. Let's pray. God, we pray that our hearts would count you and look to you and know you as friend. And there might be a variety of kind of roadblocks to our hearts from knowing that. For one, we may be here and we just simply don't believe. And so I would pray that you would do the necessary heart work to bring about a great awareness of our sin and need and an even greater awareness of your provision of grace and mercy in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We take comfort that you have revealed in your word that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And so we would pray that for those in here who may have a roadblock of unbelief, I pray that you would overcome that. For many of us who do believe, we, like the father who had a, had a son who was um, in a desperate situation and the father felt his desperate helplessness, cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe we too feel the, the pains of that, that we doubt for whatever reason, complicated, challenging, hard, but we, we have doubt that you consider us your friend. And I pray that the words of Christ, the works of Christ, and the promise of Christ would counter that unbelief and lead our hearts into a place in which we are able to enjoy and see and grasp this friendship in even greater measure. Help us to know that we are with you, and we will be with you as your friends forevermore. You will not cast us out. God, we thank you and we praise you. And we thank you that you treasure us. God, strengthen us to treasure you in this life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Won't you please stand as we close with this song?